0: This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 70. Any links and resources you hear in this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 70. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, ass kickers. Here I am again with another solo episode for you. I'm really excited to to do this podcast episode because it's something that's so important. So please try to stay with me. It's just like it's one of those things where it's like everyone must hear this or read this. If you're going to read the blog or anything, I would love, love, love for you to share this episode. I mean, I probably say that every time I'd love for you to share any of them, but this one especially. But before I get started, real quick, you guys know I love to talk about the inner critic and that's basically what I'm about to talk to you about. I have a free online workshop coming up. It's actually today. (laughs) So if you want in on that, it's tonight Um, depending on when you're listening to this, you might miss it, but you can, you might be able to still get the replay. Just go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash free call and you can get all the goods there. This is something that I, that I do, um, decently often. It's all about, it's my three most effective ways to manage your inner critic. It's one of my favorite topics to teach on. I would love to see you there. Yourkickasslife.com forward slash free call. I try to start these with something funny little anecdote from my life and I'm sitting here thinking – I don't really plan these out ahead of time. I mean I plan the lesson ahead of time. Uh, That's just not straight from the hip. But these I always like sit right before I hit record I'm like, what am I going to tell people? So I have this funny story but I was thinking like, dude, I'm not telling anyone this. Like I told my best friend but I'm not going to like post it on Facebook or something because it's one of those things that was hilarious but embarrassing. But I'm going to tell you because – you're listening and it's not like you're a live studio audience where I have to get your reaction. Cause <laughs> that would be too scary. Okay. Here's the story. So my daughter, let me preface this by saying I have done a lot of work on my own body image stuff. Some of y'all may know, like hearing my story and hearing me talk about things. I, um, I had it, I had it tumultuous relationship with an eating disorder in my 20s in and out of in and out of that and have healed a lot and still stuff comes up and I have to use my tools and and still work on it I think it's it's still kind of a one day at a time thing but all that to say I have I've really come a long way and done a lot of work around it so (laughs) know where this is going so my daughter is six she just turned 6 uh, last month. And she's funny and sassy and I I had a little mini me with her. And the other night she she loves to she is definitely like a people person. She loves to hang out with us. She wants to if she could still sleep in our bed, she would hands down every night, all day, every day. She wants to be around us, which we love about her. We definitely love that about her. So she was in our room and my husband's in there and it was like getting time for bed and I was changing and I was um, putting my pajamas on and as I'm pulling, no, 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 I didn't have a bra on and I was pulling my pajama top over my T-shirt or over myself and my daughter is just being silly and she's like, ooh, mommy, look at your big sloppy chi <laughs> And I'm just like, um, thanks. My husband is just like, oh shit. And he's all, I love mommy's big sloppy cheese. And I'm like, that's not helping. And she totally knew that she, she was like, what? And then I was like, they used to not be sloppy. I nursed that girl for two and a half years, and I'm like, it's your fault. But, um, yeah, she's and then she's like made a couple of other comments like about about that because she knew something was up. So hence starting the conversation with body image with my daughter. But God, you know, you think you think you're working on something and then a six year old throws that shit at you and damn it, damn it. All right. So let's get started with the lesson. I wanted to do this particular topic because it's something that I keep seeing over and over again. And and it's and it's around the topic of shame. And before you go running, just just hear me out. I'll I'll make it quick. It's not it's not that long, I promise. And shame seems to see seems to be a buzzword these days. And it's a good thing. People talking more about the things that hold us back and that keep us unhappy. What's well, not to love about that? But what I see over and over again are women that tell me this. They're like, I get it, and I love it when you talk about the inner critic, when you talk about perfectionism and even not feeling good enough, but I don't get this whole shame thing and I don't think I actually have any and I can understand that. I think that we make up that shame looks like people walking around that have done unthinkable things. They've been caught embezzling money from their church and like the whole congregation knows they've been caught having an affair with their psychiatrist and people are whispering about it or the kid, the poor kid whose mom is an alcoholic and comes drunk to the school play, like, th- like these big situations. But what I've come to know is that shame is much more common than we think. And most of the time shame happens in much smaller scenarios. And I hate to break it to those of you who think that you're the exception to shame, but all of us have it. And that's what I'm going to talk about and hopefully explain so you can see it a little bit better. I also know that if we're not facing and claiming that we have shame, and if we're not processing it, and we're not learning how to move through it, it's owning us and we're in a constant state of running from it and notice how I said learning how to move through it because in addition to shame being talked about more and more which I love I've seen out there in the personal development world get rid of shame and drop your shame stop feeling shame and you guys we can't do that shame is part of the human experience just like happiness is it's an emotion so Anytime you see that, and maybe if you follow personal development leaders that, that talk about that and try to teach that, that's fine. And I, you know, I, I never want to bad mouth another person that does that. But what worries me is that people hear that and then they feel shame and they feel like they can't get rid of it. And then they feel worse about themselves. So it's the same thing as the inner critic. And by the way, I have a secret for you the inner critic and shame are like twins yeets. Twin sisters. So all these years I've been talking about the inner critic, I've really been talking about shame. I just didn't want to say the word. Because <laughs> it's scary. People are like, no, I don't, want to, I don't want to learn about that, Andrea. Thanks. I will follow someone else. But it really is kind of the same thing. It's very, very, they, they overlap a lot. So let's back up and go back to basics. Brene Brown describes shame as this. The intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. That's a great definition. And you you all know I love Misa and Brene Brown. I love her. I call her my fairy godmother. But I don't think most of us walk around being conscious that we are feeling, quote unquote, unworthy of connection. That realization might come much, much later after lots of therapy or reading all of Brene's books, which, by the way, I highly recommend. So let me do my best by trying to explain what it looks like, what shame looks like, and how it manifests in our adult lives. I'll give you an example of two scenarios that I remember from my own middle school experience. The Big Sloppy chee is not one of the... <laughs> That was more funny and embarrassing. That was not shame. But I'm about to give you two examples from middle school. God, here we go. Seventh grade. I was struggling in math and it was the first time I had had really started to struggle in a subject where math really started to get hard for me. And my math teacher at the time gave us weekly tests every Friday. And if you got a D or an F, you got a tag on your test, which was basically a half sheet of paper stapled on the top of your test that your parents had to sign. And anyone listening to this that went to Meadowbrook Middle School (laughs) in the 1980s might remember this. I'm not going to say the teacher's name. My math teacher handed out all the tagged tests very last. They were at the bottom of the pile he was handing out. So everyone in class knew who was getting one. They knew who was getting a D or an F on their test. So it was bad enough struggling in a subject when I was really actually trying. I wasn't you know, a juvenile delinquent who was skipping school and not studying. But also everyone knew that I was failing tests. That made me feel like a failure and it made me feel like I was stupid. That was shame. So another example is eighth grade graduation day. I wore a really pretty dress that my mom and I had gone shopping for. And it was the first time even that I could remember that, you know, I I didn't go to school dances or anything. I was not like that kid. So it was like the first time that we had bought something really beautiful and and had gone shopping together for it. And I also got to borrow her, her beautiful gray and white cardigan sweater, and it was like this like really fuzzy Angora thing, and it also had shoulder pads, and the whole sweater itself was was way too big for me, but it was 1989, so it was perfect, and my parents dropped me off in the front of the school and went to go park for the for the 8th grade graduation ceremony, and two of the popular girls, and again, I was not one of the popular girls at school, they saw me get out of the car, and one said to the other one, oh my God, what is she wearing? And they both burst into hysterical laughter. And I had felt pretty and confident that morning. And after I heard that, I felt ridiculous and horrible. And that was shame. And I cannot believe I'm getting that feeling in my throat. Because shame is... is, you know, Brene calls it a full contact emotion and and it is. And these seemingly small scenarios are not uncommon. We've all had these. And that was just two examples of, of the many that I've had. And anyone who's been in middle school has stories like mine. Maybe it was in your family, maybe it was even with your friends or at school growing up, like my two examples, and as adults. It can be in our partnerships. It can be things that happen at work. It can even sometimes still be in our adult friendships and still with our families. And the thing that all shame stories have in common is this. Number one, they always feel like shit. Really, really horrible. There's no other emotion like it. Again, Brené calls shame a full contact emotion. We have a physiological response to shame. For me, um, I'll get it depends on how intense it is, but I'll get a full body flush. My armpits tingle, and a lot of times, um, time stands still, and I get like tunnel vision. I mean, geez, that is like, it's a full physiological response. The other thing that shame stories all have in common is that we decide that it's so horrible that we never, ever, ever want to feel that again, ever. We will do all things possible to avoid feeling that again because it's so bad and horrible. Those two scenarios, those examples, happened to me more than 25 years ago, and I remember those feelings like it was yesterday. I even remember the names of the people involved. Those seemingly small incidents embedded themselves inside of me and started to shape not so much who I was, but definitely, as I look back and connect the dots, they definitely shaped how I started to behave. So what I see happen is that we go through life trying our best to avoid shame at all costs. And this is where perfectionism is born, people-pleasing, blaming, lashing out, numbing out, isolating and avoiding, trying to control, and overachieving. Those are the most common behaviors I see with my people you listening my ass kickers my clients the people that come to my classes the people that read my blog listen to my podcast all 'all. (laughs) y'all why do i know this because i just named my to-do list (laughs) no because these are the all the same behaviors that i've struggled with and these are also the same behaviors that brené mentions in in all of her books over all of her four books she names those plus more So if you're participating regularly in any or all of those behaviors, guess who's driving the bus? Shame. Brene tells us that if we're not claiming shame, shame is claiming us. And this is what that means. If we think we don't have any or not much, we're probably, if not, like I can guarantee, we're probably in a state of constantly running from it. So now that I just dropped a bomb on you and you're like, oh my God, now what? Shit, I have shame. Okay, (laughs) maybe you're reacting like that, maybe you're not. I make up that you are. But what I want you to do first is to think about the behaviors that you engage in that I mentioned before. Let me name them quickly again. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, blaming, lashing out, numbing, isolating and avoiding, control and overachieving. There's a few more, but those are the most common ones that I see. The things that you do, those are the things that you do that you wear as protection. Or should I say the things you do that make you feel protected because they don't really protect us at all. There's no condoms for shame. There's no, we can't protect ourselves from shame. It's it's part of the human experience, but we try. We try really, really hard to run from it by doing all of those things. Because when we're engaging in perfectionism and people pleasing and numbing, et cetera, we're not actually creating a solution to the problem. We're at best slapping a temporary and crappy band aid on a wound that really needs more attention, and that attention looks like this. There's uh, three things, and believe me, like I'm wrapping this up like quickly, and this is like a long time of uh, of working on it and and practicing a new way of being. So the first thing is massive awareness on the behaviors you're engaging in that aren't in alignment with who you really want to be. Because I know you don't want to be doing the people-pleasing party dance. I know that you want to connect with people and have meaningful relationships instead of hide out when things get tough and not reach out to anyone for help. I know you want to do your best instead of kill yourself with perfectionism or paralyze yourself and not do anything because it's not going to be perfect and so on. So again, it's massive awareness on the behaviors that you're engaging in. The second thing is to know your values like you know how you like your coffee. I want you to know your values that well. And it's all great to know what your values are and name them. And that's usually as far as the exercise goes for people. But what do they actually look like for you? I mean, in your daily life, what does it mean to honor your values? What does it mean to honor courage? What does it mean to honor excellence, to honor your spirituality, to honor your meaningful connections? Because probably all of you listening to this, let me just give you an example what I see over and over again, the most some of the most common, though I named some of the most common values that I see in the women that come to me. Meaningful connections is one of them. And when we do things like hide out and not reach out for help and have this sort of like hyper independence, I can do it all on my own, soldier on, just be strong you know, all that bullshit, like, that's not having meaningful connections. Only revealing, like, the best parts of yourselves to your friends is not having meaningful connections. So it's like, that's what I want you to get into. Like, what's the nitty-gritty of what it actually, like, what are the behaviors that you want to be engaging in? And let me tell you something. It's not going to be super easy. Because what you're used to are, is the stuff that I've been talking about. Like, geez, Louise, like, I, I, I could write a manual on how to people please and hide out and numb (laughs) and try to control everything. I could write that book. But the other side, which is like really where the miracles are, the other side takes work. And that's what number three is. Practice the above every day. Be aware when you're not acting like your best self and start practicing your values and, and really like I'm kind of over here, like it is kind of that simple, you guys, and and I. There's lots of layers underneath that. Conversations to be had, old family of origin stuff that needs to be processed. Lots of self forgiveness in there, lots of self compassion in there. Like that, that's you know the underbelly and the under layers. It does sound simple, and it can be. And what I know to be true about it all is that it's messy you'll get it all wrong, you won't understand it, then you will understand it, and then you'll get it right, and you'll be proud of yourself, and on and on for the rest of your days. the end. And that's really kind of like what's been on my mind a lot lately, and it's taken, God, how many years for me to have the amount of private clients that I've had and women in my groups and paying really, really close attention to what I'm seeing over and over again, not only with them, but in my own life as well. And, um, I'm honored to see all of that in you. And I'm honored to be able to talk about this in, um, a really candid way. And I'm probably going to cry now, but, um, this is what, this is really the basis of my next book. And I feel like, Um, if anybody read my Facebook post a few weeks ago on my private page, my personal page, I should say, um, this is the book that I know I was called to write next. And I wasn't sure how my agent was going to receive it, you know, because they're always like, you got to write a book that publishers are going to buy. And I'm like, I don't want to write something that's like They wanted me to, one of my, the publisher before wanted me to write another version of 52 ways. And I'm like, I can't repeat that. Like that book was born and it's kind of like asking me to have the same child with the same DNA. It just, it's, um, she's been born and she's out in the world and she's helping the people that need to be helped that way. So I know that this is the book I was supposed to write and, um, they said, yes, they said, go write it after they saw my outline. So I'm ecstatic to do that. And just so excited to write it um, for you and for me and for anyone that needs it and so that's what I'm going to be doing in 2017 no 2016 <laughs> know what year it is (laughs) 2016 i am going to write that book and hopefully it'll come out spring or summer 2017 summer latest geez we can't wait that much longer so thank you for listening and for sticking through this post and um and for sharing it with your audience if it if it feels good to you and me and my big sloppy chichis are going to go get some more coffee i will see you next time out in cyberspace bye ass kickers